The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. I think it's often very hard for us to critically examine why we do the things we do or why we really believe the things that we say we believe. This, I think, is true, especially when it comes to our worship and and to what we believe in our faith. When I was serving in South Dakota, the church in Eagle Butte was burned to the ground. And it was a very unfortunate thing for that mission because it was the most prosperous congregation. They were very strong and healthy, the largest church. It was really the core of that mission and held all the other smaller congregations together by their presence there and by the liveliness of that congregation. So as we were thinking about how that church might be rebuilt, uh, those of us in the diocesan office, there weren't many of us, by the way, and in South Dakota, there are only four people in the diocesan office. <laughs> we uh, imagined what that church could look like if it was if we thought about it in terms of the way Native Americans come together to worship and to be together in community. And of course, that is generally speaking in a circle. Now, when the missionaries came to the West, and when they brought Christianity to the Native Americans, they brought what they knew and they imposed that upon a culture that was completely foreign to them. And because of that, if you go out in western South Dakota today, you'll find white fibered churches that look like they were lifted from someplace in the east and just plopped down in the middle of nowhere. And they also always have all the pews set in, a row, set in a row, just like ours are here, everybody facing forward. So we thought, what an opportunity. This is a, a way to kind of get back to to enculturate uh, the way that uh, Christianity can be uh, embraced in a Native American community. Well, 
the priest who was the priest in charge on that uh, mission was a very skilled and wise priest. He heard what we had to say, the thoughts that we had. And then he said, I think I need to talk with the people and see what the people want to do. Because, in fact, what we were doing was imposing, once again, the ideas of somebody from a far off place on another people. Well, he talked to them and perhaps out of loyalty to headquarters, he proposed this idea of a church in the round. They said, no way. (laughs) That's not how we worship. (laughs) They could not accept that at all. But what they did come up with was a beautiful church. It's a wonderful place. It's it's sort of uh, set in an arc. The pews still are there in order, everybody facing forward. But it's the way they chose to have their church. But as I thought about that experience, I realized that, of course, there were so many assumptions that were being made on all sides, perhaps. But we don't often really think about why we worship the way we do. And we sometimes don't give much thought to what it is we believe and why we believe it. Well, I think some of that was happening in this account that we have from Luke today. When Jesus upsets the apple cart yet once again, and people are called to think about what does it mean to observe the Sabbath? The leader of the synagogue very quickly realized that he had lost control. Everything was going a different direction than he had ever imagined. Jesus was teaching, and apparently he taught in a number of synagogues, And he was as he was teaching, a woman came into the synagogue and when he saw her, he called her to come to him. She had been afflicted with some sort of a a, a, a crippling effect to her back, perhaps. So she had been bent over for 18 years. And can you imagine what the world looked like to her for 18 years, perhaps not being able to really look up into people's eyes as they spoke to her? And then, of course, there were those who saw her that way and didn't consider her to be really a part of the community anymore because she was so disfigured. And in that culture at that time, to have that kind of disfiguration separated you from the community. Jesus called her to come to him and he declared her to be set free from all of that difficulty she had dealt with for so many years. And then he reached out and touched her and she was healed and she began to praise God for the healing that she received. I think it's very important for us to note in this account that nowhere is there any question about her faith. Never does Jesus ask if she believes, but rather he acts and he acts to set her free. And of course, all of this takes place on the Sabbath. And when we think of the Sabbath, I think uh, often we perhaps think about that account in in Genesis one of the creation of the world. And then on the seventh day, God rested. But it's important, I think, for us to hear the words from Deuteronomy with the giving of the law. Listen to what it says. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, 
or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your town so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. If you can imagine what it must have been like to have been a slave in Egypt and then to hear this command to observe a day of rest, they probably didn't know what a day of rest was. And now they were being told that there was an opportunity. It was expected. Indeed, it was commanded that they should rest. But this command also contains uh, more than that. It's also an injunction to show mercy, to show mercy on everyone in the household. Everyone, not just the head of the household, but everyone was to do their part, but to have a day of rest, even the animals. And I think the other thing that we see in here that this uh, uh, this command to observe the Sabbath was also a reminder of being set free. They had been slaves, but they were set free. And the Sabbath was a time to commemorate, to remember, to observe that. Well, for the leader of the synagogue, what Jesus did in, in healing this woman was a disruption to the order of things. Now, I'm a very strong J on the Myers-Briggs, if you know the Myers-Briggs. I don't like disorder. I can only imagine how upset that leader of the synagogue must have been when Jesus stopped his teaching and healed this woman who just walked in off the street. What on earth was he doing? He has six days of the week that he can heal. She has six days of the week she can come for healing. Why on the Sabbath? Now, it was permissible to uh, administer mercy and help to someone who is in mortal danger, but not just to heal someone who could be healed any other time. But Jesus entered into the work of that healing on that Sabbath day. And they, of course, the, the, the leader of the synagogue tells the crowd how awful this is and how it could have been done very differently. And Jesus responds to those who opposed him by simply saying, you hypocrites. And then he makes a rhetorical argument from the lesser to the greater. He says, your ox and your donkey, you will take care of even on the Sabbath. You'll make sure that they get their water. You'll untie them and take them to water. Why not this woman be healed? On the Sabbath. And then the congregation got it. <laughs> they all were ecstatic. The entire crowd, Scripture says, was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. I think it's important for us to see in this text that Jesus was not breaking the Sabbath. In fact, he was demonstrating the reality of Sabbath in the presence of all those who gathered as he set that woman free, he set her free. And remember those words that were from Deuteronomy, that this is a commemoration of the freedom of those people. 
set her free. Could anything better be done for her? There's also an aspect of this that has to do with being restored to the community. Remember that Jesus addressed the woman not by name, and perhaps no one knew her name. Uh, Perhaps she was so insignificant in that community that nobody even really knew or cared who she was. But he called her a daughter of Abraham. Now, a little later in Luke, in chapter 19, we will hear Zacchaeus called a son of Abraham. And it's interesting that both this woman, who was disfigured, and Zacchaeus, who was seen as a sinner, were outcasts from their community. And what Jesus did was to heal the one and to forgive the other. And in doing so, they were restored to the community. It seems to me that as we look at the life of Jesus, we find that over and over again, he is expanding the circle. He is including more and more people. He is not making it smaller, as we're so inclined to do. There are denominations that are so careful. I heard a story just having been in South Dakota where a Lutheran attended another Lutheran church where they were denied communion because they hadn't arranged for it ahead of time. And that's sort of that's tightening the circle. We want to expand the circle. Jesus constantly expanded the circle. And he also constantly was restoring people to community by healing them and by forgiving them. Over the years, I have spoken with many people who have been hurt by the church. And in almost every instance, it was a result of the rules of the church being applied in an inhumane way or the system of the church being imposed in an inhumane way. And I think that we as, as a church, and certainly church leaders, need to be so careful of that. Because our responsibility is to follow in the steps of Christ. It's not to make it up as we go and hang on to the rules that we think are so important to us. But rather, it's to question what we demand. It's to question what we say is a rule. And it's to ask, what would Jesus really do? In this circumstance, I think this text is not just a warning to us, though, about the barriers that we might be putting up to people. And I think it's more than just reminding us to avoid perpetuating oppressive religious systems. I believe that in this way, Jesus was telling us that we must always be expanding the circle. We must always be opening the church and welcoming others in. And perhaps even more than that, we should be inviting people to become a part of this community where we can offer healing and where we can offer to them the promise that God has given that all can be forgiven. In healing and in forgiveness, people can become a part of God's community, a part of God's kingdom. Amen.